Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com. I'm joined by Greg Linelli from Lightning Power Play. You can hear him noon weekdays on the Power Lunch with Dave Michigan, as well as pregame, postgame, and intermission host for Lightning Radio as well. And we're coming at you now after the second two-game segment of the Tampa Bay Lightning schedule. They're done with the Columbus Blue Jackets in a, in a back-to-back situation. Uh, only four games here through a week and a half of the season. They should have been six games through. They're only four games through. Might only be four games through next weekend as well. We'll get into the reasons why on that. But we are going to kind of break down a little bit what we've seen out of this team through four games. Uh, three and one record, but there are some things that we'll kind of dissect a little bit as well. And uh, with that, I want to bring in my good friend, Greg. And uh, Hello. Hello. I'm doing well, E. How are you? Glad to be with you here on our podcast talking a little puck yeah it's it's good to be doing this although uh, we've had some pauses in the schedule which we're hit some pauses on, on what we see but um you know here we are four games into this tampa bay does have a 3-1 record they did sweep the chicago blackhawks uh, in the two games at home had to sit around and wait for basically a week before they got to columbus to face the blue jackets knock them off in overtime in the first game brayden point the columbus killer if you will, with another overtime goal in that one, and then a 5-2 loss to Columbus on Saturday. And what are some of the things uh, in your mind that kind of sticks out here through four games, uh, good or bad, with this team? Yeah, it's it's mostly going to be good. I know a lot of people are going to talk about that second Columbus game, and they're going to throw a wet blanket on the start, but you shouldn't. I mean, listen, we, we go through a long season. There's going to be ups and downs. I think the Lightning will have more highs than lows. And that's one of the reasons why we think they're going to have a, a good chance to repeat this year. A couple of things stick out for me, Ian, and, and I want to get your thoughts and our listeners' thoughts as well. Steven Stamkos looks really good. He looks very healthy. I don't think that's a coincidence. And he's dominating in the face-off circle, which is something that, again, he continues to add to his arsenal. Even though he's a veteran player, he's getting better. I think that sticks out for me because that's that's a really good thing with Kucherov being out. We talk about this team's depth offensively. It's easy for us to say something like that, but you need to you need to have guys pick up the slack with arguably the best offensive player in the league not in the lineup. So I think Stamkos being healthy and being productive and winning faceoffs has been very encouraging. I also like what I see from the third line. Blake Coleman, unfortunately for him, had to miss the game. The second game against Columbus because set your alarm what, clock, kids. you set your alarm clock, miss the bus. But I, I really like what I've seen from third line in terms of just another group of guys who can go out there, set the tone, but also contribute a bit offensively. Vasilevsky, for the most part, has looked good. 
the last game against Columbus, notwithstanding, I think you know what you're going to get from a guy like that game in and game out. I, I think maybe the one knock, if you can have something that would be considered a knock, would be the defense pairing still. I, I think trying to figure out who your best six are. I don't think that's set in stony. I, I think because they like the lefty-righty situation, maybe that gives guys a little bit more of an advantage than it should. But I think if we're just talking about your six best defensemen playing, doesn't always have to be lefty-righty. I do th- still think there are some questions there that uh, probably the coaching staff is is trying to iron out. Yeah, there, there are. Um, you hand a lot of the positive there. I, I'm going to give you some negative. In, in oh, more. come on. But I see. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a positive. Give me a positive. Brayden Point looks great. He, he is just—he's skating he like a madman. Uh, he looks fantastic. Uh, the 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 pass he made, the play he made to set up the Andre Pilat power play goal uh, in Saturday's loss was just fantastic. Uh, you know, we, we talk about differences in power play, and it's obviously much different player than Nikita Kucherov over on that right circle. But he didn't stand still, right? Like he grabbed the puck and took a couple of strides down, draws the attention of the defense. All of a sudden, Andre Palat's wide open on the back post. Great play, uh, great pass. Uh, I like Steven Stamkos. I like the way that he is playing uh, as well. That's a great sign for this team. Unfortunately, had his 19-game scoring streak snapped. If you go back to the end of last season, his one playoff appearance in the Stanley Cup final, and then he had points in the first three games to start this year, uh, did not end up with a point in um, the loss to Columbus. But a good sign that he's kind of feeling his game uh, a little bit. But here's two current two concerns that I have. Uh, one of them is going to tie into what you said, but one of them is you need more out of your fourth line. Uh, it's it's a different look, obviously, with no Cedric Paquette there. We've been so used to Cedric Paquette in that fourth line role. Uh, I have not seen much of anything out of that fourth line. That gives me confidence that they can be uh, an effective line moving forward. Um, I don't know if you need to mix things up. They're still trying to you know break in Mitchell Stevens as a regular player. Of course, the injury, he's probably going to be out for a while now. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, as well, but um, you know, and whether it's going to be Matthew Joseph, whether it's going to be Alex Volkoff on that line, uh, there just doesn't seem to be a fit with whoever Patrick Maroon is going to play with. And, and that has me a little concerned. Their numbers in the first few games have not been very good in terms of their uh, shot attempt rate and anything like that puck possession, whatever you want to measure it as that hasn't been there. And then my fear with the defense was the depth. You know, I think we're already seeing that coming into consideration here. Um, Jan Ruda uh, is what he is. Um, you know, Eric Chernak, uh, gets injured in the game against Columbus. They're forced to play the rest of that game with five defensemen. So, you know, your two right-handed shot defensemen, the rest of the way are Jan Ruda and, and Cal foot. Um, so, you know, the depth and everything else on that, on the defense has me a little concerned for the long term. I still think it'll be something that Julian Brisebois addresses down the road at some point. Uh, but here in the short term, they don't have the cap space to do much with it. You can't really do anything right now to address it rather than try and, you know, work your way through it. Um, but, uh, that has me a little bit concerned long-term about the depth and how thin the blue line is once you get past those three guys on the left-hand side. Yeah, it's a good point because Jan Roots, I think, is still trying to find his game. I don't know what other options you have, to your point, uh, with the salary cap the way it is. It's not like you can go out and make a trade and bring somebody in. I mean, you could, but you're probably going to have to move out somebody to free up that cap space. I mean, you have guys like Luke Witkowski internally that you could go to. Luke Shen comes to mind as somebody you can insert into that lineup right away. Kyle Foote is somebody now that's going to get a longer lookie. And, you know, in, in many ways, that that's not a terrible thing. I mean... As you and I have discussed before, this 56-game schedule, 
We think the Lightning are going to make the playoffs. I don't really care where they finish, but you could use these 56 games and say, look, Cal Foot, you're going to get all the experience you need and then come playoff time, you can sit there and say you've got 52, 53 games of experience heading into crunch time. That's not a terrible thing. That may come with some growing pains and maybe some games where you're a little looser defensively, but considering where this team is and to your point, the lack of depth you have on the back end, that might be the way to go. In terms of the fourth line, you bring up a really good point because you know Pat Maroon hasn't really been a factor offensively as much. I know Mitchell Stevens, they like his face-off ability and his skating ability, and certainly that can play out at times. But you do need to chip in offensively. So the question becomes, what do you do there? I think initially you could bring in a guy like Jamel Smith, assuming that Stevens is going to be out longer term, and it sounds like that's going to happen according to John Cooper in his press conference after the second game against Columbus. I think Jamel Smith is a guy who can fly, has got NHL experience. He can provide a little bit of a thump, and he can. he's going to be motivated to play. Let's put it that way. He's going to want to get in the lineup and not want to come out. That's not a bad thing. But longer term, you and I were talking about something off the air, and I, I want you to elaborate on it because you were the one that, that mentioned it, is, is something they may have to do moving forward with uh, one of their top six guys. Yeah, it's interesting. They have lots of centers playing wing. I mean, Steven Stamkos is playing the wing. Tyler Johnson is playing the wing. Um, but, uh, I mean, wh- why not consider the idea? Of, like, Tyler Johnson just does not, still does not look comfortable at the wing. I, I thought that, uh, and we'd had this conversation before, that he would come in with a quote-unquote chip on his shoulder or motivated, you know, after almost having to leave the organization at some point during the offseason, Nikita Kucherov injury opened up an opportunity for him to remain but he just, he doesn't look comfortable at the wing. And if you have to move him back to center, the only, the only place to do that right now is maybe try him on the fourth line. And yeah. Okay. Maybe Pat Maroon is not the ideal winger for him, but if you put him with a Joseph or you put him with a Volkov, those are two guys that he's played with that he's familiar with uh, that can bring some speed, which is still a big part of Tyler Johnson's game. It could be worth an experiment there. You know, you can flip flop and move around Joseph and Volkov uh, if you need to playing on that second line with Sorelli and uh, Alex Kalorn, um, you know, because those two aren't being broken up. They've got some really, really good chemistry. Uh, you know, you've got a guy like Joseph who played there for the first game and, you know, was a contributor on that line in that first game against the Blackhawks. I, I think it's something to consider. Do I think that they're going to make that move right now? Uh, thing is, is they probably have a week to, to consider uh, all options that they have. Uh, but for a team that has some centers playing wing, and now you're probably going to be missing a fourth line center. I think it's worth the opportunity to maybe look at it. The only concern you would have with it is how does Tyler Johnson take that? Yeah, he gets back to the position. He probably is more comfortable at and wants to play, but it's fourth line. It's, it's fewer minutes. It's fewer opportunities to get out on the ice. And you'd have to worry about what kind of message that would send. Well, you know, let's, let's take the other side of that. He is more comfortable as a centerman. I think he's much better as a centerman than a winger. And I think that's playing out at least early on. The flip side of that is too, when you start talking about, you know, how's he going to take it? If you're John Cooper at this point, do you care? I mean, I think you have to look at John and say, you're a veteran. You understand that there are situations that go on that you have to deal with that you don't like as a professional. He didn't like the fact that he was put on waivers a couple times, E, but that was the reality of the situation. If he wants to stay with this team and he wants to play, I guess my message would be, listen, you've got a spot on this team. You're playing every night. I don't know how many minutes you're going to get, but that's going to be largely in part on how well you play. And if we need you to play center on the fourth line, Maybe there's a little bit more confidence there that, listen, you're going to have to drive play. You're going to have to be the guy that makes plays. 
And you're going to have to get guys involved rather than maybe being on a second line. And that's not the case. I think there is some juggling there that John Cooper can do. He can insert guys like we've talked about, whether it's Smith or somebody else. I don't think you want to break up the Sorelli line. Certainly, I don't think you want to break up the Coleman line. But, you know, that may be something he does, too. I think he has internal options. But if you're asking me, I think maybe putting in Smith first to see how that works is what I would do. And then if you're still struggling to find ways to score goals, at least out of Johnson, maybe you do move him to a fourth line and maybe you do make him your sentiment. I don't think that's a bad play. I don't either. Uh, it's an opportunity for him to get on the scoreboard. Um, he's just, you know, two years ago, he's a 27 goal scorer, you know, or 20, he was 29 goal scorer. He had 27 goals at even strength. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's worth a shot. And, and I'm with you. I think, look, they're scheduled to play Carolina Tuesday, Thursday, depending on when people are listening to this uh, podcast, they're probably not going to play those games. Um, Carolina's, facility as of Saturday still wasn't open. That's not a good sign. If you're trying to think about playing a game in three days in Carolina, even Thursday's game most likely would probably have to be uh, postponed at that point as well. So you're, you're, if you're the lightning here, you are second time in two weeks. Now you're going to go a week between playing games. We know the Dallas situation. They didn't get back to playing until last night or on Friday. Uh, they had their opener against uh, Nashville. Uh, so it looks like Tampa Bay is going to sit around until the 30th, which is the end of the month uh, for a home set against Nashville on the 30th. And then February 1st, that gives you a week if you're the coaching staff to figure this out. And I'm with you in, I think they give Jamel Smith a chance. I making a move to putting Tyler Johnson back at center on a fourth line role this early in the season, I think it's too quick to sort of make that assessment. But the fact that we're talking about it right now, only four games in, you can't tell me the coaches aren't thinking about that, but I think they're going to give Jamel Smith an opportunity, assuming Mitchell Stevens can't come back. And to use John Cooper's words, it doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon. Uh, I, I think that they'll give that an opportunity to work out before you start to explore a lesser role, even in a more comfortable position for a Tyler Johnson. Yeah, you know, it's a shame, too, that they're not paying Carolina because Tyler Johnson usually has huge games against Carolina, right. doesn't he? I mean, how many hat tricks does he have against the Hurricanes? <laughs> Two that or three, be, yeah. That might be coming at a um, – would have been coming at a good time, assuming that, um, you know, they play on Tuesday. I don't, I don't think they are, but, you know, certainly I think that would have been an opportunity for Johnson to get going. So, listen, E, one of the things we discussed, I mean, even before the season started, and I, I think any team that repeats is up to the cap, which is basically what Tampa Bay and all good teams do – the question always is, where is your depth? For the most part, they've been able to mask that depth with guys who have come in and gotten an opportunity to play and take on bigger roles from their minor league system or getting guys like a Jamel Smith who joins the organization. So they're a little less deep this year, and I think we all anticipated that. I still think you know their, their top-end talent is as good as anybody's, but I think also, too, getting a little bit of practice time may help them in their structure a bit more and getting guys acclimated to the lineup if they are going to make some changes. So we gave people kind of an idea of uh, who those changes would be. I know I, I took a lot of questions, and I'm sure you have too, about Jan Rutza and where he is. He, he just doesn't look comfortable. But again, I think you have to ask yourself the question, what are your legitimate options? I'm not talking about options, legitimate options, assuming you want to stay lefty-righty on the back end. You don't have any. I mean, it's just to be blunt. You don't have any. If Unless you move guys, right? From the left to the right. Even then, your depth is, is still not the same. 
right? Because you still have to dress six defensemen. And if Eric Chernak is out, they only have set, well, eight, if you want to count uh, Borgman, uh, who I believe is still in the taxi squad. Um, you know, you do have a left hand ch- chance there, but your, your right handed is so thin. You, could you put Mikhail Sergeyev on the right side? Absolutely. We saw him take some shifts with Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough today, more out of necessity because they're only down to five. Um, you know, so, but you're going to get that in, in that situation. But that's the only that's the only choice you have. If if you want to put more minutes with guys, you're going to have to do that. Um, we know that that Sergey can play both sides of um, of the ice. There's no doubt. Uh, but you don't have any depth in the organization at all. You know, Andreas Borgman hasn't played in the NHL in a couple of years. Uh, he started the season over in Sweden this year. He played in the AHL last year. Um, you know, is he is he a guy that you can count on? I don't know. And if if your if your option to replace Jan Ruda alongside Victor Hedman. Again, it's just four games in, but if your best option is Luke Shen, you have depth issues and that's not a knock on Luke Shen. He is what he is. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy who can skate real well. You need to be able to skate uh, in this league. He provides elements that this team doesn't have, uh, but it's, he's not a top pairing guy. He's not going to take on 15, 18 minutes a night paired with a Victor Hedman on a regular basis. So your only other choice then is to move a Sergeyev to the right side and kind of balance things out a little bit more. Uh, And, but then you have to worry about, okay, if Cal foots in the lineup, who's playing on the left side with him, you know, your only other left-handed choice behind those top three is Andres Borgman. (laughs) I I mean, it's, it's, it's the hand they're dealt. It's the roster that they have cap issues have a lot to do with it. Uh, But this is, this right now is you're you're missing Braden Coburn right now. And uh, that's a big loss. As you look at this right now, the situation they're in, if Trinac's going to miss any time. It is. It's a huge loss uh, at this point. And and Kobe was playing some really good hockey, even when he found himself in and out of the lineup. Look, if that means you've got to rely on Luke Shen a a bit more to get you through this rough patch here, then maybe that's what you do. Um, And look, that just means probably Andre Vasilevsky is going to have to be um, a lot better than he was in game four, which I think he will be. But I mean, I I think you're going to see something where, you know, does he play the puck a little bit more? Is he more prone to corralling that rebound and not getting uh, the puck up to the defenseman to slow things down so they can do some line changes and get the right pairings out there. I mean, these are, these are things that I think as an athlete like Vasilevsky, those are decisions you have to make depending on how the, the game is going. But to your point, Ian, and something we've discussed before, you just can't be deep at every position in today's salary cap world. That's why last year was so unusual because you had guys like Bogosian and Shattenkirk and Coburn to compliment also who you had to begin with. So uh, in many ways, an unusual circumstance for the Lightning last year. But one, I think they can overcome, assuming they can stay away from the injuries on the back end, because we talk about the growth of Chernak and Sergachev specifically. That is one way you can overcome maybe the lack of depth that you have on the back end. Yeah, and, and some of that maturity with a guy like Sergachev, uh, it, it was kind of interesting to listen to him talk after Saturday's loss. Uh, and it, look, it's never easy sometimes for players to come in and um, talk after a loss, especially a game like that. But he was very hard on himself, as hard as I've ever heard Mikhail Sergachev be about his game. Uh, he called it the worst game of his career, which John Cooper kind of got a chuckle at when I brought that to his attention. But to me, that shows more growth with a Mikhail Sergachev, an understanding of how he is expected to play. And when he knows he doesn't live up to those expectations in his own mind, that's a great sign for me. Cause a lot of times you see players say, yeah, I was fine. Yep. I was good. Yep. 
I don't care. I don't know what anybody else said. I felt I played fine. You know, so for him to come out and say that, and, you know, we could probably go back and look at the tape and dissect his game and say, yeah, he probably needs to be better here. That was not the worst game of his NHL career. Uh, he had some moments in that game where he was good. Certainly he had the, the move that he tried to pull off, uh, you know, that signature move and he lost control of the puck. Like, I don't want to take that away from him. It's a strength of his game. Uh, he has gotten better at that through the years. Talking about the maturation of a player, uh, I, I don't want to take that away from him moving forward. It, it's it's what makes him who he is. Uh, but I I was really encouraged to hear Mikhail Sergachev talk about his game in that manner. That tells me the growth of a 22 year old player who's really got as high expectations as we have for him and the coaching staff has for him. When his expectations are that high and he doesn't live up to it and he owns it, that's a great sign to me. It is, and those are things you expect when a guy has that many games under his belt. It's it's fun to watch, and you want to see his growth continue, and I think we will moving forward. So from that standpoint, very good. I think also, too, you know, a lot of people will talk about the fourth game against Columbus and what are some things we can take away from the team being 3-1. and one. I do think how this schedule plays out in terms of when the team loses that first game, how they bounce back in that second game, is going to be an interesting storyline because Columbus was a lot better. I don't know if it was a coincidence that because of the trade they made earlier that day, kind of got that monkey off their back, so to speak, but they were a lot better uh, on their game uh, in their game Saturday. And it just seemed like they played with a lot more structure and that could just be good coaching. That just could be prideful players bouncing back. I think it's a, it's an understanding of, First of all, coaches do have some time off to make adjustments from game to game. That's going to be a storyline, I think, throughout this entire season, especially when you have situations where teams play each other three times in a row. So from that part, I expect that. I think it's also an understanding that if Columbus lost this game, they came in one, two and two. If they fall to one, three and two, and all of a sudden they, you know, they only get one win in their first six games, I think there was a uh, understanding of desperation that they needed to show uh, to avoid, you know, falling to that record. They understood that. And, you know, we'll get into the Dubois stuff here in a second, but I, I think that's as much as it was there. And, and they took advantage of a, of a sloppy Tampa Bay team. Uh, I think they took advantage of some turnovers at Tampa Bay created. We saw Columbus get behind the Lightning's defense on a number of times today, including that led to that tying goal right after Victor Hedman scored. Cam Atkinson had a half step on Victor Hedman, and that led to, uh, you know, the, the, the tying goal there. Um, so I, I think it was a combination of all of that. Uh, but I think there is something to be said in some ways to a little bit of a cloud being lifted over them, because what was the biggest storyline coming out of the first game against Columbus on Thursday, the team, the game that Tampa Bay won, it was the lack of ice time for Pierre-Luc Dubois, who was benched after four and a half minutes in the first period, didn't see the ice game. It's all anybody was talking about for two days until the trade happened. It was. And, you know, look, for as talented as he is, um, and, and I'm still not sure that's the trade you want to make if you're Columbus. I got to be honest, you, typically the whoever gets the best player back, I think, in that trade, he usually wins it. Now, time will tell because I think they are two different players in line A and and Dubois. And I know there there is a couple of other assets that went to and from in that trade that we can't dismiss. But those were the headliners. You know, Dubois is somebody you felt like you could build around maybe just because he's a centerman and he's still so young. But Lonnie's been in the league now a couple of years and is a proven goal scorer, which is hard to come by. The question I have for Columbus, I understand you wanted to get Dubois 
out of there because for whatever reason, it wasn't working in Columbus. And look, there are some situations that aren't salvageable. I understand that. I don't pretend to know all the issues in that locker room, but if he wanted out, what are you going to do? I mean, if a guy doesn't want to play for your team and for your city, so you got to move him. The question is, Patrick Line is a really gifted goal scorer, but he struggles defensively. That could end up being disastrous for John Tortorella. It could go the other way. And I think for Columbus's sake, they're hoping John Tortorella gets the most out of Patrick Line. But I think there are some serious questions as to whether or not he will flourish for the Blue Jackets. He'll flourish on the power play. That's a big area that Columbus has needed some help is uh, somebody to do that. And he can shoot the puck over there from that, uh, that left circle, much, much like Steven Stamkos does. Um, so, you know, that, um, that, that's a, and it is interesting to hear you make the comparison that you, you think Dubois might be the best player in this deal. I, I'm the, I think from talent wise, I think it's, it's a wash. I think line a is an exceptional goal scorer. Uh, I think Dubois is just starting to come into his own, but he plays the premier position. Right. Everybody's looking for centers. And the one thing that if from looking from a, a Columbus standpoint is, OK, you got a premier winger who can score. Who's going to get him the puck? Who's he going to play with in the middle? It's been an organizational problem for Columbus for a number of years uh, about who's going to play center for them. Going back to when they had Ryan Johansson and he wanted out and he was traded for Seth Jones and. You know, then Dubois comes in. He's the number one center. Well, he wants out, and you know, you bring in a Patrick Liney. Time will tell how things are going to work. But you know, you want to talk about we, we just talked about the maturation of a Mikhail Sergachev at the age of 22 and understanding his game and where he wants to play. Look at the exact opposite of that with Pierre Luc Dubois. Okay, he asked for a trade. Okay, I get it. Maybe it's the coach. Maybe it's the bigger uh, stage you want to be on. Whatever reasoning he had for it, he asked for the trade and went out and played like he wanted to trade. You don't dog on your team. You don't, you don't quit on your team. He quit on his team. That's terrible, in my, my opinion. You know, you go back to that last shift that he played in that first game between Tampa Bay and Columbus. He just, he just lollygagged through it. I mean, he just floated his way through that shift. That's why he was benched. He wasn't benched because he's asked for a trade. He benched because he quit on his team. That is, if, I'm, if I'm Winnipeg, I have some serious problems with that. I'm, that's the first thing I'm asking him. Okay. So I guess, what if you don't get happy here? Are you going to quit on us too? Sure. You're right. Now, look, the, the flip side to that is everything you said is accurate. The flip side of that is high pedigree pick, young player at 22. Is it incumbent on the coach to try and turn that around? Now, if he has quit, I guess there's nothing you can do. But I've got to think one of the biggest job descriptions as a head coach, because a lot of times – you're only as good as the talent you have on the ice. John Tortorella has proven he's a, a good coach in this league. He's won a lot of games. But part of me also comes down and says, when a high player like that is in your organization, don't you try and do everything you can to get the most out of him to work for your team? And I find it a little odd. It, it feels like it's been given up too early. And with a talent like that, that's unusual. So I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We're not privy to that. You're no doubt you bring up a good point about giving up, especially in that, that the third game for the lightning against Columbus, their third game of the season, the first game they beat Columbus. There's no doubt in that first period. I mean, we played it on the radio side. I mean, that four check he had going in, getting the puck. I mean, you or I would have been better or would have been harder on the puck for sure. But that's not the first time a young player probably hasn't given a great effort under John Tortorella. And I'm just surprised that this ended so quickly. 
that you wouldn't try and go to the nth degree to try and get it out of him to make sure it fits in Columbus. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Well, you'd have to think they did, right? Where their, their season ended in, what, August, right? Like when Tampa Bay eliminated them in the first round. Um, so they've had a lot of time to work on this. So this is, I don't think this is something that just popped up. We, we, it, it popped up on the media's uh, radar just before training camps open, but I'm sure this has been out there for a while. So I'm knowing John Tortorella and, and if Yarmo Kekalainen uh, is as good of a GM as we know he is, uh, I'm sure that there were conversations that were had about trying to make this work. And it, it immediately, immediately when I started to hear that, especially over the last couple of days, thinking about a 22 year old asked out and then kind of mentally checks out. Yeah. I know another 22 year old at the time here in Tampa Bay under John Tortorella, who did the same thing. And that's Vinny LeCavalier, you know, that entire 2001, 2002 season for about four weeks, it was nothing but constant Vinny trade speculation. He wants out. What is, um, you know, then GM Rick Dudley going to be able to get for him? Uh, what can they work out? And it finally got to a point where uh, Ron Campbell, who was the president at the time said, you know what, we're not trading. Vinny LeCavalier. He's too good of a player. He's too high end of a talent. You guys need to find a way to make, make this work out. So it was in a lot of ways, it was Jay Feaster who at that time was the assistant general manager, basically had to sit, sit down and say, okay, John Tortorella, Vinny LeCavalier is not being traded anywhere. You need to find a way to make it work. Well, that's Vinny, what I mean. Vinny, you're not, you're not going anywhere. You need right. to find a way to work with John Tortorella. So that's a, that's what, a good, what did Vinny end up with? Well, he was borderline, a borderline Hall of Famer. You're absolutely right. That's why to me, is it that much worse than what happened with Vinny nope. and John? Nope. So why don't you... Now, I'm not telling you that, that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be Vinny LeCavier. I'm not. He could, uh, could be. Uh, but, I, you know, at 22, 23, I, I don't know. What I do know is the last couple of years, he's been one of their more productive offensive players who is a high-pedigree draft pick. Again, I don't want to dismiss that, E, because in today's salary cap world, you need your draft picks to perform. And in Columbus, where they've had a hard time retaining star players, whether it's the head coach's fault or not, the ones you do have that do develop, I think you need to have those conversations with them and say, listen, I don't know what your problem is, but you too, meaning the head coach and the player, need to figure this out. Now, you can come back and say they did a great job in getting Patrick Laine, and maybe it offsets the loss. Patrick Laine for a lot of people that watch him gets lost in his own zone, might not even know how to play defense. That may change <laughs> under John Tortorella, but it also, it also had that reputation too. It, it, you're right. It, it could, it could work out very well, but it might not. And in some ways, both guys are proven in the skill sets that they do best. Dubois is a guy that can maybe accumulate some points. Line is a goal scorer, but under Tortorella E you need to play defense. And I guess the question becomes, and maybe they've answered that and they probably did by trading Dubois. Which one of those players can you get a better defensive effort from? Because we know what they can do offensively. Clearly, John Tortorella felt like they couldn't get much more out of Dubois defensively. And now they get line A, and maybe they're hoping with a change of scenery, he'll be on his best behavior and maybe take to that type of coaching a bit better than Dubois did. Because if not... I don't know why you would trade Dubois, who I think has the potential to be a number one center in this league. 
Yeah, and look, there's a, there's a connection there between Line A and Kekalainen too, right? So you know, both uh, from Finland, and you know, there's a lot of familiarity with Kekalainen and, and, and Line A from uh, those times back in 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 Finland before Kekalainen uh, came over to the U.S. And you know, it, it's interesting too because you know John Tortorella obviously has a reputation, and in a lot of ways, it's well deserved uh, being hard on players. He is. I don't think anybody would ever argue that John Tortorella can be hard on players. Athletes are different now than they were 20 years ago, for sure. Um, so maybe they don't take that kind of direction uh, as well. But I can tell you, um, players who have played for John Tortorella, when they, don't, when they don't play for him anymore, they understand why they sure. were treated that way. You know, I even saw Eddie Lack today. I saw that Twitter. tweet. I saw uh, that tweet. Say that, you know, he has so much respect for John Tortorella, and he didn't get to play much. Like, he didn't get a lot of playing time when he's a head coach in Vancouver because they had Roberto Luongo. Um, but he had so much respect for him. I even remember LeCavalier himself during the lockout year. Now, granted, they just come off winning the Stanley Cup, but he came back and he missed the structure that John Tortorella provided. He went and played in um, in Russia. Russia. Yeah, Russia. Yeah. You know, so he 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 came back dying for it. And, and I'll, re- I'll relay this story, too, from that year. And that was my first full year on a beat. Uh, working for the Tribune at the time. And of course, these are, it's, it's, it's uh, completely dominating the lightning headlines at that time. You know, what's going to happen with Vinny. And I remember having a conversation with uh, Grant Ledger, who's a veteran defenseman at the time, yeah. you know, asking him questions about this. And I'll never forget the one comment he gave me. He said, look, if you can't handle honesty, you can't handle John Tortorella because John Tortorella will always let you know where you stand. There's there's no there's no sugarcoating it. There's no going around the edges. You're right dead center. You know exactly where you stand. And if you can't take that kind of honesty to for him to get you to be a better player. And this was at a time when John Tortorella was still trying to establish himself as a head coach. Yeah. This was his first full year as a head coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Remember, he was an assistant under Steve Ludzik before that. Sure, sure. So, you know, when you hear a veteran player say that, that kind of gives you an understanding of who he is. So, yeah, like again, Younger athletes today, maybe they can't handle that as much as they used to, but they should. They're professionals. Well, um, you know, let's let's swing this back to Tyler Johnson, too, because if you. If there's somebody you can be honest with, it's got to be somebody who has played for you for quite some time, not only at the NHL level, but at the minor league level. And I think Julian Breeze has been pretty honest with Tyler Johnson and his role with this team. They put him on waivers twice. So we talk about different athletes and how they react to it. I don't want Pierre-Luc Dubois for his sake and the Columbus Blue Jackets sake to sit there and say, well, you know what? Uh, I really miss that John Tortorella uh, coaching, but um, I didn't realize it till I left. No, it's your job to figure it out now while he's still part of the team. I think that's what's disappointing. And I think for Tyler Johnson, you want some honesty. I'm sure the coaching staff will give it to him. And I think Tyler Johnson, hopefully he is receptive to that because you're trying to get the most out of every player. I don't think it's really much different than those two situations because the assessment of your play sometimes always isn't peaches and cream, so to speak. It's uh, sometimes not very good. And I I think as an athlete, how you handle that honesty goes a long way in what type of professional you're going to be. Yep. And there should be enough trust between John Cooper and Tyler Johnson, who have been Great. together for a decade that, you know, it, it, nothing's ever personal. It's, it's about no your doubt. game. What, what's your game going to get to. And, uh, you know, you mentioned peaches and, and cream. It, it reminds me that uh, manscaped, we get Ooh. a, we have a special 
discount with manscaped.com. If you use the keyword bolts at checkout, you'll yes. get 20% off any order. Now, of course, peaches and cream is not quite the same as say twigs and berries, but uh, it's along <laughs> those lines um, that it's, it's a great product for guys. It is they use some great products for guys. And again, 20% off using bolts. 20% off with the products that we are endorsing is a no brainer. The performance package is phenomenal. I use Manscaped all the time. You should too, as we've talked about before, bald and beautiful, baby. I don't get this just from uh, using any type of razor or any type of uh, other, you know, shaving, shaving cream or any other type of shaving utensil than with Manscaped. So check it out. My family's using it as well. I am, and uh, you should too. So. Uh, it is, uh, well, we could say the official sponsor of the Lightning Insider podcast. I love it. Yeah. Love now, it. Can, can you have better marketing than having your two principal products? One's named the lawnmower, the other's named the weed whacker. That's <laughs> just brilliant marketing. You know what it is, too? <laughs> it's fearless marketing as well. It's great. It's because great the, weird, the weed whacker, you know, some people might be offended, but don't be offended. Because it will trim the bush and you'll feel fine. And we like that on the show. Well, the only thing that should offend you if you have too many nose hairs hanging out because a weed whacker takes care of that like that. Point by you. It's a good so, point by you. Um, again, keyword bolts for 20% off at manscaped.com. Yes. They have some great products there that really do. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's kind of set up the rest of the week because we don't know yet what's going to happen. Um, everything is day-to-day in the league right now. And as John Cooper said, sometimes it's hour by hour and, you know, before they played their game on Saturday in Columbus as a Friday, they didn't know if they were coming home or if they were going to Carolina. Um, you know, as we found out, obviously after the game on Saturday, they did return home. Even if they have to go to Carolina on a Tuesday, they can still get a couple of days here at home before they would have to leave for that game, especially with two o'clock start uh, for the game. But it's, you can't tell me Greg, that this doesn't have an effect on your team. And I know we're all living in this, crazy world right now where things can change on a daily basis and these things affect hockey teams but you can't tell me that having two games postponed already looking at the likelihood of two more games postponed you've only played four games now in two weeks before you get back on the ice i know they're professionals but they're humans and that has a that that does take a toll on you from a mental standpoint and trying to prepare because you don't know what what you're preparing for or even if you're going to be able to prepare for it yeah, it's it's easy for us to sit here and say that these are professionals. These guys get paid a lot of money. And whenever they play, regardless of the practice time, they should be ready to go. Now you throw in the fact that we can't even get a normal schedule when they play. And you can see why some of these games are a little lopsided in terms of play. That's why it's impressive. I think the Lightning are three and one to start the season. Don't minimize that. But this is the challenge of this season with the the COVID protocols in place. I've made the point on my show E earlier, and I'm curious what your take is on it moving forward. Uh, One, I actually think at least where we sit right now, it could change with all the makeup games coming. It's going to be harder to get 56 games in than maybe people anticipated. And because of that, you may have to make some special concessions when it comes to playing time. The second part to it, I think we have to ask ourselves as a league, how much are you willing to stomach in terms of playing with COVID a little bit more than anticipated? Because the longer and the more games you cancel, I don't think it does anybody good. It doesn't do the economics of the game very good. It certainly, I think, hurts play 
in the long run, I mean, we're seeing choppy play to start, which is anticipated, but you didn't have a preseason coming into the regular season. You didn't really have a, a, a too intense training camp. I don't want to make it seem like I'm giving excuses, but I think there are some questions that have to be answered. And that would be at what point do we continue to play the schedule Assuming there aren't huge outbreaks of COVID for specific teams. I understand in certain scenarios it is, but if we're talking two, three, or four, at some point, I think you have to continue to play on if you want to get this season going and still have, I think, the integrity of the game intact a little bit as well. I think they will get the season done. I think that the fact that this is happening early in the season is a hell of a lot better than if it happen in the late part latter, latter stages of the season because it gets everybody's attention similar to what we saw with major league baseball right you had the issue with the marlins you had the issue with the cardinals those were the two biggest ones that kind of shut them down now it's it's different because you can play double headers in baseball and you can make up those games a little bit easier you can't play double headers in hockey by any stretch of the imagination uh, you can't even play three games in a row and the league is doing whatever they can to avoid that and you have you can push back the start of the playoffs by a week if you have to but i think they are going to push through this i don't think that's going to be uh, an issue i think they have to push through this unless it like it spreads the entire league that's a completely different story but if you have isolated team cases you know there, there are logistical nightmares that you would have to go through as we're already seeing you know i think of the florida panthers the florida panthers have played two games because they were supposed to open up against Dallas, and it was well, Dallas they were, has played one. Yeah, Dallas of, has played as one of this, as of this recording, which is Saturday night. But but the Florida, through no fault of their own, because they were supposed to be the opening opponent for Dallas, and they were supposed to be Carolina's opponent. You know, uh, Tuesday or Thursday and Saturday before Tampa yeah. Bay came into town. You know, so they have to sit around. They've played two games in two and a half weeks before you know they're Columbus's next opponent after Tampa Bay moved out of there. Um, so there are logistical issues that they are going to have to deal with. But as long as you don't have something, because we haven't seen yet between now Dallas's was in training camp, so that was that was okay. But we haven't seen. Carolina spread to Nashville because that was their last opponent. They played on a Monday. They were supposed to play it on Tuesday. That's when it was postponed. It has not as of yet, knocking on wood, spread to Nashville. And then the situation here with the Lightning. Okay, Curtis McElhaney has been on the COVID list now for a week. Now, I don't know this for sure. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here. That tells me he probably tested positive. And it hasn't, again, knock on wood, spread to any other teammate because they played on a Friday. And he didn't play, but he was on the bench as the backup goaltender. And then we saw um, Blake Coleman go on the list for a couple of days. He came off and he played. He hasn't had any effects. So it hasn't spread in Tampa Bay's room either. These protocols, as long as they're adhered to, you know, and we, the Washington situation to where uh, I believe it was one of the Washington players that did test positive, And because that player was in the room with Ovechkin and, and uh, you know, the other Russian players there for the Capitals, Orlov and Samsonov and those guys, that's why they're out because they have to go in protocol because they were in a room with a guy. They broke the protocol. That's why they were fined $100,000. You have to be disciplined to get this through so it doesn't become an outbreak. That's the whole key here. Prevent it from being an outbreak. Prevent it from spreading from team to team. If it's in your team, that's one thing. But prevent it from spreading from team to team. And I think they will push through whatever well, comes their way with this. I think the other thing, too, is the testing has to be better. 
And there's been some talk about implementing what the NBA does because the testing, I think, can come up positive in one test, but then the second test, it's negative. And then maybe the third test is negative. So I think the NHL is trying to figure this out as we go. The other thing, too, is, you know, it just could be that regardless of how safe and the precautions you take, that there always could be an outbreak coming. And I think that's something that we have to take into consideration when this all plays out. Yeah, you do. Um, and, and again, I, I think that, uh, you know, with the testing situation, so what the NBA is going through, they, well, first of all, the NHL is doing tests every day. They're taking tests in the morning, but they don't get the results back for 24 days. So you, or 24 hours, Ooh, 24 days would be a mess. Um, so you have the issue like Carolina had with the game against Nashville because you took the test in the morning, but you don't get those results back until the following day. Well, they played a game that night and then they were able to, uh, they had to cancel that game or postpone that game later that night. So they're talking about trying to find some ways to do daily test or um, the, the rapid test, which is what the NBA is having to do now. And we saw this Carolina has already said that they will institute the rapid test in their facility. In addition to the daily test. And so the hurricanes are going to go undergo two tests per day. They're going to get the, the more accurate tests and they're going to get the rapid test to try and make sure that this doesn't happen. Maybe the league has to do that, but this is the interesting thing that I found out about some of this testing, the teams in the bubble, the NHL paid for all the testing. The teams are paying for the testing here. So now you're a little looser for certain teams to do the testing that opens up a different bit of a, a can of worms in my mind. I think you're right. And I, I think the one thing these leagues are still trying to figure out is how contagious things can be and the protocols in place and making sure the players take the right protocols. I think also an interesting thing just to move forward on this topic e, is, you know, maybe stricter penalties too with teams that violate the protocols. I think yeah. you know, that's something that the league can certainly do to prevent players from, you know, trying to take this as serious as possible as well. Yep. And that's why the $100,000 fine, I think, was significant. I think that got a lot of people's attention for simply being in a teammate's hotel room. And that's that's a violation of protocols. And I think that's important to send that message now so that you don't have the situation going on Good point. on the road. So, uh, all right, Greg, uh, this has been, again, a lot of fun. Um, we don't know what the next week is going to hold. We might not do another one of these together until after the second Nashville game, which is February 1st. So it might be a little bit. Maybe we'll have an opportunity sometime in between uh, to do one, depending sure. on what goes on. But uh, make sure you hit subscribe and rate and everything else with this. Apple uh, on our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your uh, podcast is where you can find us. Uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? Enjoyed it. I'm sure we're going to do one before these games are played. Stick with us and uh, check out uh, our Twitter feed for sure. He's always on top of it. Subscribe to lightninginsider.com for the latest info there. But uh, we'll have something for people. They need hockey talk. Yeah, it's, it's great hockey talk. You could use the hashtag. Hashtag, hashtag great hockey talk. All right. Uh, we'll be back again. Again, Lightning start the season with uh, three out of four wins. You'll take that uh, throughout the season. If you can do that, that's going to be a sign of good things to come. Uh, so, again, thanks, everybody, for listening to this. Uh, we'll be back again. So, until the next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.